This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Talk About Flow podcast, I am going to have my buddy, recurring guest, hockey writer, big-time sports fan, Joe Yurden. He's going to join me in Oh boy, we got a lot to talk about. Of course, front and center, the Buffalo Bills, 3-0, baby, 3-0, a thriller at an empty Bills stadium on Sunday. We'll talk about the game. We'll talk about Josh Allen, officially an early season NFL MVP candidate. How can he not be right now? But not just him. That's not the only reason why they're 3-0, by the way. And we're going to hit on some different guys that continue to step up because this is no one-man team whatsoever. Uh, We'll talk about the defense, which quite frankly, didn't pull their weight. Have not been very good for two weeks running right now. You know, Miami had some injury excuses. Not the case on Sunday. But again, they played a very good LA Rams team. So we'll talk about the big picture. What we think of this team right now after three weeks, where they stack up. In regards to the other good teams around the NFL, what we may have learned from Sunday, plenty more Bills stuff. We'll also talk some Buffalo Sabres, especially after NHL insider Bob McKenzie dropped some tweets on Monday that really resonated big time on social media. They involved Jack Eichel trade chatter, uh, including one with the New York Rangers. We'll hit on that. The crazy reaction from fans, understandably so, by the way. Uh, the significance that, look, at the end of the day, the Buffalo Sabres organization, they better grow by leaps and bounds this year. It's Jack Eichel's sixth year. And what happens if they don't? We'll talk about it. Uh, free agency, by the way, NHL, 10 days away. I'll get Joe's takes on a couple guys that maybe he'd like to see the Sabres target. So much to discuss today. Joe, you're one of my favorite people. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks, and then that design, that campaign is gone. Here's the best part about what they do. Every single time they sell a shirt, a donation is made to that specific campaign or to a charity each and every time. Since becoming a company in 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. Folks, Del Reed, that crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of many people that they touch. Awesome to see. By the way, not to mention, these shirts look good. They're good, man. They're comfy. They're sporty. They look great on you. I have a bunch of them. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. And... On that note, let's do it. The best is yet to come. 
episode 257. Welcome, everybody. Let's jump right into it right now. Got my buddy, recurring guest, hockey sports writer, big time sports fan, my buddy, Joe Yurden. What's going on, Joe? How you doing? Doing good, Patrick. Good, doing good, man. It's uh, pretty wild. We got some sports happening around here, isn't it? It's kind of like saving me during these times. This is a great time for sports, man. You got so you got the baseball playoffs. We're taping this Monday. This will be released Tuesday morning. So baseball playoffs starting on Tuesday. Uh, you got the Lakers in the Heat, NBA Finals. You got NHL free agency starting 11 days. Stanley Cup's going on right now while we're taping this. So I can't talk about the game. Who knows how that's going to play out. Uh, same thing, Chiefs, Ravens, Monday Night Football. Man, the Bills are 3-0. I got my kid playing high school football under the lights again in Florida. It's fun to watch, man. Yeah, sports is kind of getting me through the, these COVID times, man. You know what I'm saying? Great time to be a, a sports fan, especially in Buffalo. Yeah, it's. I was going to say, it's. Uh, I for the first time ever, maybe, I'm jealous of not being a uh, of not being a Bills fan. <laughs> um, yeah. the, way they're, the way they're playing, the offense is fun. The defense, I mean, you know, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens with that uh, going forward, but um it was it was nice though that the you know everybody was concerned how there wasn't going to be any preseason games and then the schedule gives the Bills the Jets and the Dolphins first two first two games yeah. to kind of work out the kinks and um, yeah so we'll we'll see how that works there I mean there's obviously a lot of questions but man people are pumped here man it's it's pretty wild it I I, I feel bad for all the sports bar owners and whatnot because they're trying to do their best to keep things keep, keep things going business wise and you know you can't just have jammed out places because I know for a fact every sports bar would be jam packed crazy with it people home and road games watching how this team goes, man. It's uh it's something else to see. It really is. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna get myself into trouble here because <laughs> one of the complaints I get from some fans, especially people down here in Florida who are like sort of friends with me or know who I am. And they listen to the show for whatever reason. I don't know why they do, but they do. And I'm, I'm constantly bashing Florida sports fans compared to where I'm from in Western New York. And I mean, you just laid it all perfect, dude. If this team was 0 three, the bars would still be packed yeah. and the fans would still be going nuts and tailgating and going crazy. So you're down here. I'm down here. I should say in Florida all right now I'm in Bradenton, Sarasota. That's about, 45 to maybe 50 minutes or so from Emily arena from my house. Okay. Mm -hmm. So to be fair, let's just pretend to use a Buffalo comparison. I lived in Rochester. Okay. Or just outside of Rochester, a little bit closer to Buffalo. I saw on the local news tonight, a poll and I took a screenshot. I put it up on Twitter. The question was Tampa Bay's playing tonight. Game six. Will you be watching the game? Dude, 60% fan said, yes. 40% 40% of the people said no. Now, I put that out on Twitter, and some people are like, well, they're not sports fans. It's net. I said, dude, if the Sabres were playing in the Stanley Cup, I don't care what the demographic is, you wouldn't find 40 people who are not going to watch a Sabres Stanley Cup game in Western New York, let alone 40% of the fans. It's just crazy. You really, you truly realize when you're not there and you start to see other fan bases, or at least certain ones anyway, how, rab- how rabied the Buffalo sports uh, bases. It, it just really is, man. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It, part of that, I think in Tampa's case makes me wonder if uh, having three months off and I know they've been playing uh, this, you know, this, this version of the Stanley cup playoffs for, for a little while here, but, um, but I wonder if having all that time off and then, you know, transitioning into other sport, you know, you get baseball going, the Rays are, you know, the Rays are doing really well. And then you get, you know, football and the, you know, the Buccaneers 
trying to <laughs> trying to NBA their way towards uh, getting getting into the playoffs and doing things with Brady and Fournette and those guys makes you wonder how much of that is is taking the attention. I know it's crazy to think the Rays could take attention away from the Lightning. Believe me, um, but I, I think in this case it's like. I don't know. I think I think it's all about the frame of mind. Not that you get a winner setting in Florida at all, but I, I imagine it's still probably you know well north of ninety degrees during the daytime, yeah. and your, your mind's is. not really not really thinking hockey. You know, I mean, normal times maybe it would be now because you'd have preseason going, but I don't know. It's September is never really friendly towards hockey. It's it's kind of like you got to wait for the temperatures to drop. You know, the leaves start to go different colors, and then everybody starts thinking like, "Oh yeah, it's cool out." Oh yeah, hockey. Okay, here we go. Instead, it's <laughs> well, like the leaves, the, you know. the leaves do not turn different colors down here. That's a very fair point, and I will. I wish. I mean, there's much bigger reasons why I wish COVID was an issue, of course. But it would be interesting down here to see how COVID, if it wasn't for COVID, what the fans would be like down here. Because I mean, you kind of laid it out. They're really doing good. I mean, the Lightning are one game away from winning the Cup. When people listen to this tomorrow, there's a chance maybe they are Stanley Cup champions. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays, I think they're what? Aren't they the first seed in the AL playoffs this start yeah. Tuesday? They're top, the first seed. seed. Yeah, they're the top seed. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-1, and one and a lot of hype, a lot of hope with them with Brady. And, of course, the Saints don't look very good in their division, so there's a chance that Tampa Bay is going to be, you know, very much in contention for a division title. So in terms of the performance of these teams down there, if you are a Tampa fan, there's a lot to be excited about. It's just, I don't know. And it's just always blown me away how little people just seem to care. Like even you go to a, a sports bar and a regular season lightning game is on. They score here a couple claps here and there. It's mm-hmm. just so different. Now, again, I need to be fair too. And you know this as well through your travels covering hockey. This is a transplant area. You know, yeah. so a lot of people aren't from Tampa you go to the arena and there's always fans from the other team, not 50-50, but, mm-hmm. you know, some teams more than others. There's definitely, uh, you know, it's not the same. Everybody from Buffalo, for the most part, is from Buffalo. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's just really weird to see. 40% of fans, I don't care what the capacity is, if they're not sports fans or just watching casual news, 40% of fans ain't going to watch a Stanley Cup game that your town is playing in. Come on, man. Yeah, you, you don't get a lot of the transplant, you know, like Tampa to Buffalo transplants. You don't you don't see that happen too many times. I, 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 the only time you, I mean, you see, you'll see opposing jerseys at, at Sabres games, and you know you'll see them at at Bills games too, although in much much fewer numbers. Um, but I know at, at 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 Buffalo games, it's always you know the the good conspiracy theory that I, that I like to buy into is that there's a lot of people from Southern Ontario who get seasons to the Sabres that want to get it just for the Leafs games. But then they go and they root for every other team against the yeah. Sabers, just to be just to be that guy because they're like, listen, we spent a lot of money to get to get two or three uh, Leafs games. You know, we're going to go to these other games, but we ain't rooting for Buffalo. Get lost. What What do you think is a city or two that probably you see the most Buffalo fans at when the, when they're on the road, like the team, where you notice it's like, wow, there's a lot of Sabers fans in this arena. Well, I'll say that I saw a lot in Miami. Well, at Sunrise. Um, yeah, I think there. I mean, that, it's easy to get noticed in a place like that where the there's not as many fans. Period. Um, so anybody that is a Buffalo fan is going to get noticed pretty easily. Uh, I see it pretty well in Pittsburgh, uh, and I think that's just because it's an easy drive, and Pittsburgh is a fun town. Sure. Um, New York City, I think. I think that's just natural. You're just going to have a lot of people down there that that move from move from the Western New York down to the city for work or, or, or doing other stuff or school or whatnot. I mean, you see the same thing in the Rangers come up here. 
there's t- there's tons of kids going to UB or Buff State that are that are from the city that are just like you know full on Rangers fans. But um, but I think those are the places that really stick out to me. I think I think other places it's just it's such an overwhelming number of the home fans um, that that they just get that Buffalo fans will just get drowned out completely. But uh, I would say that I noticed it a lot in, in Buffalo. Um, from what I've seen, I think Arizona's got a pretty good representation, but it's the same same issue with the Panthers. It's not as many fans, so you, you bring about tw- you know you and ten of your buddies, and you're loud enough, you're going to get noticed. <laughs> you know what? Before, and I'm glad you said the Rangers because that later on will be a nice little segue to some Jack Eichel talk. Of course, after a, a series of tweets from Bob McKenzie today on Monday. For that, I'll tell you what, I got a burning question for you, man. You've been yeah. on this podcast several times. We like to shoot the shit before we dive into some sports talk. I was walking around my complex area earlier, a little bit chilly. Now, you'd laugh at me if you came down here right now. You'd laugh at the thought of it being cold, but I think your blood really does thin out. I believe that. I believe in that. I think it's true. I think you get colder down here quick. But anyway, here's my burning question. I've never asked you this, man. Are you more of a fall is elite guy or are you more of a... Yo, it's summertime at the harbor, watching people paddleboat in the water, that type of guy. Like, what do you prefer? Because I see on Twitter right now, lots of people, they talk about how much they love fall. It's like they forget about summer real quick. You wait all year for summer to get there, gone in a blink. I don't know, man. Are you a a fall elite guy or are you just a regular big time summer guy? I'm a a big fall elite guy, but summertime for me is is hard. I, I don't do well with heat. <laughs> at all. Oh, so you um, moving I, air then. <laughs> I hate I hate sweating. I hate any of that stuff. Like that drives me crazy. I, I think part of it might be that I, you know, I have an apartment where I don't have air conditioning. So, yeah. you know, you get you get a really humid, you know, and I mean it's nothing compared to Florida. Let's not let's not get it mistaken here. It's still um, hot and humid though. But like, you know, 90 and humid still stinks. And I mean, I had a couple of weeks running where, you know, I had I had to buy a thermometer for my apartment just so I knew how warm it was in here. And it was like <laughs> There was like a week, two weeks straight where it was like 85 plus in my apartment. I was like, this, this, this just sucks. I, I cannot stand it. And I'm just like actively rooting for it to be cooler again. And people are like, no, don't take summer away. And I'm like, listen, I went to, I went to college in Oswego for crying out loud. Like that's, that's Buffalo. It's like training. Like it's not training ground for Buffalo weather. That's like, that's like the next difficulty level up from, from, from Buffalo weather because you get it straight off of Lake Ontario and yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sick enough in the head that one year my buddy and I we were, you know we had already graduated from school and we were going to go out for the you know Oswego Plattsburgh game, which is like Yankees Red Sox of D three hockey uh, as far as rivalries go. And we you know we drove out there and we were like, is this game still going to happen? Like they're getting a bad snowstorm, and we're like, how bad? And we're like, we looked it up, and they had a lake effect snowstorm that just parked over the sit over over the city of Oswego for like four days. <laughs> so it dumped over a hundred inches of snow in like three days. Jesus. And we were just like, uh, okay. All right. So, so, you know, the game still went on because the storm was over and the team was, the, you know, the team was already in, in town. So they're like, we're playing the game. So we, we drove out very stupidly and driving through there was just like, I mean, the snow was piled up over your head on the sidewalks and you, you know, you can't see the the front windows of any of the buildings downtown because the snow drifts are piled up and you're just like, they're playing. They're playing tonight in this. Okay, all right. Like I don't know how they came down out of the woods from Plattsburgh to get down here for this, but this is crazy. But um, <laughs> but that's a long way of saying that. Like me and Winter, we get along okay. Like I, my my thought process is I can always get warmer in winter. I can't always get cooler in summer, and that's yeah. that's the part that gets me. 
Yeah, my my wife and, and my son are pro. Definitely fall and even winter. That's the only thing about Buffalo I don't miss. I don't like winter. Winter and me don't knock it along well at all, but I also don't like being high. I'm one of those, uh, I want everything perfect. I want to be a snowbird. I've, I think I've told you this before. Yeah. I, I love to live in Florida during the winter and go to Buffalo the rest of the year. Anyway, that's, uh, that's <laughs> one of the reasons why I love having you on the show, and, and it's been established now. You're known as a hockey writer, but you also know plenty about sports, and one of the many reasons why I love having you on the show like, for an example, when we talk Buffalo Bills is because, I mean, you said this at the top, you're not really a Buffalo Bills fan. So I feel like I get more object objectivity from you. I think people who, even if they covered a team or especially if you're a blogger or a podcaster, you kind of, even if you're not trying to be, you are a fan first and foremost. And I think sometimes that could skew your opinion a little bit where somebody who's not really a fan of the team, I think they have a more straightforward, honest opinion. So that's you. But anyway, the Bills. Um, three and oh, man, you know, they, they built a very big lead. Then they blew a 25 point lead in the second half, uh, scored a tight bite, which by the way, that was just unbelievable to watch that happen. Um, then they score, you know, 15 seconds left and, and they win by a field goal. Like I said, increased heart rates, man, uh, blood pressure, at least for Bill's fans, Bill's mafia. That's for sure. It was just a, it was a, it was just a crazy game. First and foremost, I, I'm sure you watched it. What, what, what's your take on the game itself? Because they went from, wow, we're just dominating a really good team. To, Holy shit, man, we're blowing this game. We're going to lose it, and then they win. Well, they kind of got a taste of that the week before at Miami, too, where it was just, you know, they, yeah. they they tooled with the Dolphins for an entire half, and then they come out of the second half flat as a board, and suddenly the Dolphins had a lead, and it was just like, Wait, what, what happened here? Like, what's what's this about? And it, It's one thing that you can kind of do that with teams like the Dolphins, where they're just not as, you know, they don't have as much talent. They don't They're not as good. Um, doing that with the Rams is that was a lot more dangerous. I mean, I know the Rams had their issues last season. They're, they're going to have some issues this year, obviously. But I mean, if if you're given, you know, and I know there's some still some question marks around Jared Goff, but um, but him with that group of receiver, you know, Robert Woods is still a really good receiver. Why can't the why couldn't the Bills find guys like that years ago? Huh? But I mean, <laughs> right? Um, but I mean, you know, they they got a running game. They you know they were able you know they were down, so they were able to throw, and I I think that's. That, that's something where I think uh, McDermott and crew are going to have to get the, the pass game figured out, the pass defense figured out, um, because it was very clearly obvious pass situations. You get down three scores, you're throwing the ball. you gotta, you got to score quick. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's one thing to, to say it and to practice it. It's another thing to do it. And I, I think, you know, they were fortunate that it was, it was a whole lot of bend and it didn't quite break. Um, but I think, you know, when you're, when you're trying to, get ready for, for the more important games as, as, as the season goes along. It's going to be really interesting to see how this team adjusts. Like, you know, that's a, that's a big one to kind of mop off the brow and just say, okay, we, we took care of that one. But, you know, Allen's been pretty good. I know the second half was a little bit shaky. Um, I'm not going to get overhyped about him, you know, dropping 400 on the Dolphins or, you know, lighting up, <laughs> lighting up the Jets. Like, okay, great. You got, you got your warm-ups in. You got the monkey off your back with a 300-yard thing. Great, good. 300 against the Rams is good. Um, they, they were able to do. I thought. I thought they were able to do a lot of things against the, the Rams defense because the Rams defense was was coming hard at them um, early on. Like they were thinking, we got to blitz them. We got to do this. We got to do that. And they were doing a lot of like the misdirection and like trap trap run stuff they were doing was working mm-hmm. good because it was able to get those. You know, you get guys like you know uh, like their D linemen. Like they were getting in pretty quickly. And if they're already in and passed, and you're just slipping the slipping Singletary past them perfect you know like that's 
that's how you have to deal with teams like that that are gonna that are gonna try to get in your backfield right away. Um, it's either that or you're doing screen plays or you know you, you got to be careful with the with the play actions just because if they're not fooled they're <laughs> they're gonna be right in your face. But um, but I liked a lot of what they're doing. I think a lot of what the Bills are doing is really smart um, with how they're handling the games and whatnot. But um, certainly it, it's nice to be able to have a, a total crap ass second half like they had with the Rams and be able to come away with it still with a W and be able to move on. And you got to deal with the Raiders next week, which I think they're, they're a huge wild card. I don't think they're very good, but uh, I don't know. They, they seem to still be able to, to do some things with the ball, but, um, but we'll see. I mean, they got a lot of tough road games. Like they got to crisscross the country a few times. Um, that's going to take a toll. And we know that's that, that makes those games a lot more difficult, but, um, but I'll, but you got to like what you see. I mean, three and O is three and O, man. So uh, and you don't always have to win pretty. Certain teams you got to win big on. Like you got to make them. You got to make those teams look stupid. But um, but I think when, you know with a game like the Rams, like yeah, you don't want to blow twenty five point leads routinely. Um, but coming away with a win, you'll take it and just keep moving on. Like you have to almost take the Belichick mentality of just like we're on to the next game. You know, just as soon as that one's over with, just keep going and say you know whatever it's done, it's over. We're, we're going to keep going. Well, I'll tell you, my biggest takeaways from the game, and you hit on one of them, is it's very refreshing to to have a team where you can play, for the most part, a really lousy second half against a team that's pretty good. You know, they're one of the, they're at minimum, they're an above average team in the NFL right now. So you play like crap and you still win against a good team. To me, that that matters. And also when you're a good team and you know this, you know, we're talking football, but it's the same with hockey. Now, I'm not going to say you know this covering the Sabres because it's never been the case with the Sabres, but you know of many hockey teams out there that are very good organizations that win sometimes even when they make mistakes. You know, the difference between sometimes a good team and a bad team is the good team will find ways to win games where they don't have it all that day. You know what I mean? They're not playing very well, but they find a way to win. And bad teams find a, find a way to lose. And, yeah. you know, that's the difference right now. Like, I hate compare new organizations, but that's the way I feel the biggest difference between the Bills and and uh and the Sabres. Let me ask you this too, because I my other takeaway, and I thought of this, I think the first two games, I don't think the fans had any impact whatsoever. At least I'll talk about Buffalo Bills games only here. Mm-hmm. They were going to beat the Jets. The Jets are a far inferior team. The Bills were at home. They didn't need fans. And on the road, Buffalo was a better team than Miami. Plus Miami, I've been to the stadium when the Bills play there. It's not really that much of a factor to begin with. But this game against the Rams, I'm picturing in my mind, I'm saying, and I'm certainly not making up excuses because you can't blow a 25-point lead. But in that second half, once they got up, because it was 21-3 at halftime, and then they went up 28-3, I'm like, with that crowd going crazy, I think the Rams are probably running for the bus at that point. They're not going to be able to, and this is a factor that we're seeing now, one of the the COVID things with with football Mm -hmm. is, quarterbacks can easily change plays at the line because I think it's like 70 decibels is as loud as it gets. Yeah. It's not too loud. You know, Jared Goff can keep calm and change plays up rather easily at the line. When you're, when you got 70,000 crazy ass fans at Bill's stadium, that's not happening. You know what I mean? So I do think to some extent, and again, I'm not to make an excuse for the bills whatsoever because mm-hmm. you got to put a team away good or bad. Um, I, I do think that fans were, not being there, I do think that was a little bit of a factor on Sunday. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely apparent with with some of those games, and that's obviously a big one because you're right. They they get up twenty eight to three. It's it's a party atmosphere, and 
And sure. it's, it's going to be ugly. The rest, you know, the, the fans are going to be pumped up, not just on third down plays, but every, every down, they're just going to be going nuts. Uh, you know, I mean, they're still cranking the train horn sound in there, which I, I mean, I, I get it. You got to have some comforts at home, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much that's really having an effect on, on the other teams. We're, we're not going to see delay of games because, you know, because they, because they can't hear calls at the line, but, um, but I, I, I think, I think in the, in that case, yeah, that, that, that's one where, 28 to three, you can probably salt that one away pretty well, but a quick touchdown or two, you, you can, the other side of that though, is you can feel the crowd change. Like, yeah, you, you can feel everybody's buttholes getting really tight, you yeah. know, when they cut it down to, you know, they cut it down to a, you know, a one score game and you're like, Oh boy, here we go. Here it goes again. And then any sort of mistake, any sort of slip up gets all the fans just, you know, smacking their foreheads going, geez, what are you doing? bud?" um, so you, you get things like that, but, uh, I will say this: it, It's nice, it's good for a team that's based out of Buffalo to be able to learn lessons from games in which they win, and be able to say like, "All right, you know, we kind of screwed that up, but we came away with a W." Whereas, you know, a lot of times at Sabers, there's a lot of mistakes that are made, and they're you know games that turn into you know a three nothing lead turns into a five three loss, and they're just like, "Well, you know, we got some stuff to correct, and we'll get back at it." It's like, well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you still lost though. So I mean I mean, you know, you can forget it all you want, but that's that's still gonna be hanging over your head. What do you make of Josh Allen right now? And I mean you hinted at it a little bit because in fairness to critics, and I'm not saying that you are a critic, but just mm-hmm. critics in general, um, you know, they did play the Jets in Miami. Let's just generously say that they're not very good. Mm-hmm. Again, the Rams, Aaron Donald is the best defensive lineman in the NFL, bar none. Jalen Ramsey is one of the best corners, certainly the most high paid, highest paid corners in the NFL. There's lots of talent on that team. And at least for two and a half quarters, man, Josh Allen straight up just carved the Rams apart. And then in the fourth quarter, you know, he played bad in the second half for a lot of it. Let's, I don't want to look past that. He had a couple breakdowns, a couple mm-hmm. mental breakdowns. He had not one, he had two penalties, 30 yards he cost his team in penalties. Mm-hmm. The interception, I'm not going to, it shouldn't have been, an interception, but that said, he also shouldn't have thrown that pass. He yeah. lost a fumble, which, again, the best player in football just took it away from him. Mm-hmm. Point being is this, man. He made some mistakes, and my thought process as it was going on was, all right, you know, he's handled, he's, he's been a great front runner. He's put up great numbers, and they beat up on shitty teams. I'm starting to see the Josh Allen that the critics don't like late in this football game because he's kind of mentally breaking down, man. He was holding the ball for too long and doing, you know, he's making mistakes. Let's just put it that way. But, you know, and then he goes on that last drive, man, and he gets it done. He gets Mm -hmm. it done. And it's not, this is not the first time. I mean, I I think I read a stat. He's got, he's got like seventh, seven fourth quarter comebacks already in his career. And he's only been a starter. This is only his, you know, he's only in his third year in the NFL, man. So, He's making up for it, and he looked composed out there. And, I mean, they converted a, I think it was a second and 25 they had at one point. That third and 22, I, that completion, to get the first down on that final drive, I mean, that was just really good shit, man. And I, I, I get annoyed with Bills fans to an extent because I feel like they could be insufferable. I'm so happy <laughs> the Bills are 3-0, and and I'm so happy that Josh Allen is playing great. And I get it, a lot of national media thought Josh Allen sucks and some of them still won't admit that they're wrong about it. Cause they don't suck at this point. If you're saying he sucks and you're just, I don't know, you're looking for clicks or whatever, yeah. whatever you want to, you know what I'm saying? But 
that said, I, like I said, these fans are they're just they could be insufferable about letting you know that he's not, you know, that he is good. But mm-hmm. that said, forget the fans. Yo, he's him, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. Those are probably your three best players in the NFL through three weeks. You know what I mean? He's he's really good. That's kind of my long winded way of of getting them to my point here. <laughs> Yo, this guy's playing fucking good football, man. Yeah. No, he he is. He's he's playing good football. I, I, what's what's fascinating is is a lot a lot of like the the national view on him is just like just you know I, I think a lot of people are just kind of just show us stop stop yelling about it. We you know we're sick of having the fans you know screaming at us that you know he's he's going to be the best. Like okay, like I get it. Like just just go and prove it. And I, I think that's where a lot of them. <laughs> of the memories from the playoff game against Houston really, really kind of stick out. Cause you're just like, all right, yeah. well, that was a lot of, a lot of boneheaded mistakes that he made in a game that they should have salted away in the second half. Right? I was thinking granted, that yesterday. That, now granted that's Deshaun Watson also being one of the best <laughs> quarterbacks in the league, you know, uh, as a counter. But, um, but I think in this, in, in Allen's case, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, let's face it, Bill's fans are, have been dying for a, a really not, never mind a great quarterback, just a, a really good, decent quarterback for since Kelly. Like let's not even yeah. let's let's not even let's not even try to like break down past guys like, well, this guy was okay. This guy was like no 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 it's 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 since Kelly. And you know it's the same position that like you know Cleveland's in. You know they haven't had a good quarterback since Kozar. And uh you know and in Buffalo's case it was like, you know, that's always been viewed as the reason why they can't take the next step. So all hopes, all dreams, all everything are pinned on Allen's back. No pressure, kid. Like yeah. And that, that's everything. And, you know, now the fans are pumped up because it seems like he's doing really well. But to me, the Rams game is just kind of like a perfect picture of what he is. Like he, there's a lot of brilliance and there's a lot of just not great action. And I think until, until that, you know, that game goes from needing a comeback to, to win a game that you're up by 25 to we won by 40 because we were able to salt it away. And Allen didn't have to play the second half of the fourth quarter. I think that's the big difference, you know, guys like the guys like, you know, the Mannings, the Rogers and all them, like, you know, against, you know, even against, I mean, they, they have those games against good teams, but I, I think when it's, you know, when it's the, you know, in the case of the Dolphins game, like that's a game you should win by 30, uh, you know, based on how they played the first half, like go running away, hide, win by 30 and call, you know, get on the plane and, and kick back with a few beers. And um, I think, you know, when it's, when it's the Rams, it's, it's it's a little different, but like, you know, the fans want it so badly and they want, you know, they're, they're dying for a Super Bowl action. They're dying for a title. They're dying for just the Bills to be a really good team. And there's, it's it's a lot of the, it's a lot of the inferiority, inferiority complex. Can't even talk tonight, man. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of the inferiority complex stuff that comes out and it manifests itself with, with how Allen does and, and how people view him. And, you know, the, Fans here are sick, were sick to death of hearing about Tom Brady for 20 years. And, you know, they were sick to death of hearing about Dan Marino all while it was him and Kelly. And they were sick to death about Peyton Manning and all that. Not necessarily the level that New England fans hated Peyton Manning, but, like, it's the same sort of it's the same sort of thing where it's just like all these other great quarterbacks were around. It's like, well, we just got one of our own. We'd be right there with them. Like, well, you know, maybe, maybe this guy will be one of them, but. Um, it's, you got to have some patience. You can't just like bull rush him in and say like third year, he's autumn, you know, it's now, 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 now. Like, you know, we've seen Deshaun Watson be awesome. And like, that takes time. Like sometimes you just have a bad front office that screws stuff up for you. Um, you know, and and I think that's the case for some other young guys too. 
the fact that the Rogerses and the and the Bradys and all those guys got to stick around forever is because those guys had super elite talent, but they also had teams that could put it together around them. I think the hope now is that the Bills have that that front office group that can do things sensibly, do things smart, and and not cost themselves games because they're making boneheaded personnel decisions. And I think the, the Bills are in a good spot for that. I mean, if, if Allen can't succeed this year with the the group of receivers he's got around him, I don't know what necessarily you can do to fix that. You know, maybe get him another tight end. I don't know. Like, uh, I think I think that's I think that's the only real question there as far as as far as far as how the offense goes but i i think with the other receivers you can get by with a tight end that's mostly there to sit in and block like if you just want to have him run you know seven yard button hooks all the time or just like sit in the middle of a soft zone great cool like that can work but um but i i think that you know and it's convenient slash inconvenient timing because if alan lights it up this year with this group that's great because then the bills are going to be really good but then they also they got to decide how much they're going to pay him for that next contract. Um, so it's it, it's it, it's a it's not quite a damn if you do damn if you don't because if they make the playoffs and they go deep, then who cares <laughs> at that point? Right. Like it doesn't matter at that point. So, um, but it, it requires patience. Like living and dying with them week to week. I mean that's how it works in the NFL. But boy oh boy, trying to trying to go out and yell at everybody on Twitter about how great Allen played when you're. You know, you're yelling at guys who have covered, you know, all-time legendary quarterbacks. You got to be like, all right, listen, like, <laughs> they've seen it. Like, it would help if some of those guys would get off the uh, the, the stupid hyper, you know, hyperbole with a lot of the stuff when it comes to comparing guys. But I mean, you know, I I remember when when they drafted him, I and I posed the question to people. I said, if Allen has the career Matthew Stafford does. Do you think he? You, are you happy with that? And a lot of people said no because they're like Stafford's not a winner. And I was like. But he throws for like forty five hundred, five thousand yards a year. Like, <laughs> how can right. you how can you get mad about that? I mean, you can get I can get mad about Stafford never having the team put around him to succeed. But I mean, if Allen's in that same boat, and he but if he has those same stats, that's great. Like, that's an unbelievable career, and the Bills should be better off for it. But um, thankfully, most NFL teams aren't as stupid as Detroit. <laughs> I'm still very upset at my own team. Let me put it that way. Like. <laughs> Seen too many careers get wasted in Detroit. Let's take a break. I want to let you know that today's episode is being supported by 26 Shirts. Over at 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks. And then, bam, that's it. That's a wrap for that shirt. Here's the best part about what they do. For every single shirt sold, they make a donation to a specific worthy campaign or to a charity each and every single time. Since launching in 2013, their designs and shirts have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. That number grows literally daily. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of so many people. It's great to see. Not to mention, these are outstanding-looking design shirts. They're comfortable. They're sporty. They look good on you. I have several myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. You talked about talent around him, and and that's the whole thing with Josh Allen, too, is, look, I love the way he's playing, and I really don't think it's disputable for the most part, but... Lots of credit deserves to go to a lot of the talent around him. I can't emphasize enough how much Stephon Diggs has meant to this offense. 
for himself or his ability to get himself open. It kind of like to use a, a basketball analogy here. Stefan Days could get his own shot. You know, even if he, he off the dribble, he could do it himself. But beyond that, he's just opening so much more up for guys like Cole Beasley and John Brown, who, I mean, they're good last year without him, but I think they're even better now with him. And then you get a guy like Devin Singletary, who, you know, I I, I want to say the, the rookie Zach Moss, people were ready to run off Devin Singletary after one year, for the most part, anyway. I don't want to say run him off. Maybe that's a little strong. But everyone's very high on Zach Moss and not so high on Devin Singletary. And Moss doesn't play. He's got an injury. And I thought Devin Singletary was outstanding against the Rams. He had 71 yards rushing on 13 carries. Uh, he had 121 yards on 17 touches. I feel like that was a big statement gave for him. He is a very good running back. And he doesn't have that breakaway speed. But he's very elusive. He can make you miss in a very short space. And he's very good. Very underrated at breaking tackles. So again, it's not that I don't like Zach Moss because I do, but to people who wrote off Devin Singletary as nothing more than like maybe a rotational guy, that was way premature because this guy showed on Sunday. I think he could play very well. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think I think in the, the sort of system that the Bills want to have where it's going to be built around passing and it's going to be built around what Allen can do, I think Singletary is ideally the guy that's the right change of pace sort of guy. I mean, you can't, not everybody's going to be like a like a Marshall Falk or or somebody like mm-hmm. that where it's like they're they can rush for 150 or they can catch for 150. Like that's like that that's not what you need out of out of Singletary. You need somebody that can keep the defense that that front seven front eight honest um, when it comes to how you're like you know if you see him lined up in a in a you know in a two you know in a basic set you know two wide tight end you know single back. Something you know, something along those lines, where you can say like, "Oh, maybe they're going to throw. Maybe they, maybe they will run here, or this looks like a run set. What, what's going to happen?" And then you, know, you start flaring him out and and putting you know swinging him out on you know out of the flat, and suddenly you've got an extra receiver there that they're not accounting for because you think they're going to run off the run off the tackle or something like that's that's what you need, and especially you, you need with all the stuff that they do with Allen regarding his running, you need somebody that can give you a threat that. You know, it's not just going to be Allen, you know, spinning off and, and taking off of the ball every time. You need somebody that's going to be able to make you pay if you're committing to to Allen being the guy carrying the ball. Um, I think that's that's a that's a vital part in, in in having a guy that can do that stuff well. And I think for as far as as far as what you need out of Singletary, I mean, listen, everybody here is spoiled with Thurman Thomas with how he did things for so long. I mean, he was, he was arguably the best player on that whole offense. I mean, everybody's a point at Kelly, but I, to me, Thomas was the guy that made that go. And, you know, that that's for me, having somebody be a multiple um, version threat where it's running, catching the ball, whatever, like that's that's perfect. Like, yeah, you want Moss to be able to your guy to be the guy to kind of pound it in for, for those short yardage situations or, you know, be able to wear a defense down, but. I think for what Singletary provides you, it's it's pretty it's pretty solid for what I think this Bills offense is built around. Like you know, how many the last two years? I think everybody said, you know, John Brown is such a great deep threat guy. As long as they've got another guy that can keep the D away, he's a guy that keeps the D's honest. Well, they didn't have that other guy for so long, and now you've got Diggs, who's just who's great. You know, he's he's a top five, top ten receiver in the league, and. Um, that makes everybody else's jobs easier. You know, you don't, you can't just sit on Brown and just, you know, when he, if he takes off deep, you can just have the safety chase him and, and have a matchup corner. But um, you got to watch where Diggs is going everywhere. You got to watch, you know, you have to be careful of Beasley underneath now because, you know, he's going to be anywhere. And even the tight ends, we've seen, 
we've seen those guys flare out and get their opportunities. I mean, you know, Lee Smith gets three touchdowns Sunday, you know, three like touch, the, the tight end scored three touchdowns Sunday. That's what I mean. Like you, you spend, you're, you're making the defense think like, well, they, they don't have their top tight end. We got to cover all these receivers in the back. Well, okay. Well, if you're going to leave one guy open, let it be the tight end. Like, okay, well, that makes it easier to find him. Well, I'm shit, man. Again, three touchdowns. And that was the first time I looked it up since I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right here. Mark Campbell was a tight end for the Bills. He scored three touchdowns by himself in 2004, also against the Rams. They were the St. Louis Rams at that time. But anyway, yeah, three touchdowns from the tight end. We didn't talk about Gabriel Davis, the rookie. Four catches for 81 yards. He drew that pass interference penalty at the end of the game, which may or may not have been pass interference. But I do think, by the way, because I know a lot of Rams fans were losing their shit. Um, I would say two things to that. A, if it wasn't pass interference, it was... Um, defensive holding at a minimum, which yeah. only meant a difference of a couple yards. It still would have been an automatic first down. So that's one thing I would say to Rams fans. And then the other thing, you know what? You got third and 22, maybe not give up a 23-yard pass in the middle of the field because then you win the game that way as well. But yeah. yeah, man, Gabriel Davis had a big, big day, man, with John Brown, who only had two targets, didn't have a catch, didn't play in the second half with that foot. But yeah, man, just weapons galore all over the place. Lee Smith plays one snap the whole game, scores a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, last week it was Reggie Gilliam, the undrafted free agent tight end. This time it's Tyler Croft who scores two. There just seems to be a lot of weapons on the offense. But the reason why we're having a conversation about a nail-biter, frankly, was the defense. Okay, yeah. and, um, you know, there was a couple bright spots. It wasn't all bad. A.J. Abanessa had a sack and a nice hit. A Levi Wallace, who I thought was trash in Miami, frankly. Mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick kept going after him every play. He had an interception. He played very well. Matt Milano was back. I felt like he made his presence felt. In fact, I remember at one point, I was like, yo, my son's going to watch a lot of game film of Matt Milano this week, try to play like him at linebacker. But anyway, there were some yeah. good things. But at the same token, dude, I mean, come on. They blew a 25-point lead in the second half. The run defense Dude, horrific, man. Daryl Henderson ran for yeah. over 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I think they gave up 478 total yards. Now, I get it. When you have a lead, at least early on, you're kind of in that prevent mode a little bit, especially with the running game. It's kind of easier. But they couldn't stop the run, man. And, and and they had two sacks on the very first drive of the game and then have a sack the rest of the way. This mm-hmm. team is known. They're supposed to be known for their defense. This is not supposed to be Josh Allen lighting it up like he's Brett Favre. We're supposed to be a tough defensive team. They didn't look good in Miami, but they got away with it. And we had the injury excuse, which remained Evans and Milano out. Wasn't the case Sunday, dude. How concerned are you about this defense if you're a Bills fan going forward? Or you just think maybe, you know what, a little bump in the road. What do you think? I, I'm a little worried about the pass rush, to be honest. I think that's I think that's a bigger that's a bigger concern for me because that because they're not getting as much help from the middle of the line. Uh I you know, I think you need a little bit more out of Oliver in the middle. I think you need him to take another step up. Um you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go as far as the, you know, as far to say that they, you know, they miss a guy like Starlo Lotz lately. But um, I, I think, think they do I, a little. I think on. A, I think when it comes to stopping and run, it does because sure. a guy that big, you know, he 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 concerns himself with two linemen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't think the other guys really are able to do that. I mean, you can you if you got if all those guys are fast. I mean, that's great. But when it comes to grinding down a run game, I mean, all it takes is you know is just for one little hole for a guy to be able to get through. And if, you know, if you're not getting that support from the lines to kind of, to kind of bog things down there, then you're in a little bit of trouble, but that, you know, 
I, I think everybody's gonna they're, they're gonna be watching a lot of that tape. You know, when it comes to watching how how the Rams were able to, to to get their run yards and what they're able to do, and you know, the Raiders have a really good back in Jacobs, and you know, there's a there's a few other pretty good backs hanging around the AFC. Let's not get it mistaken, but um, but I, I think if if anything that under McDermott, this D's shown a, a good way to be able to bounce back and recover. Yeah, um, when, when they've seen when they've noticed mistakes, it's not like under Ryan where he was so stubborn about everything. He was just like, nope, this is the way it's going to be. This is how we do it, and you know, damn the torpedoes. And that's right. It's not. It's not. It's not how this team operates now. And um, if there's something to be addressed, they'll they'll address it. I, I think you know. I, I I find it hard to believe that Edmonds and Milano were playing at a hundred percent. But I, I I sure hope not. Yeah, but I mean, when it comes to the thing with stopping the run game, like it's not a huge huge concern in the in the current NFL. Like if this was you know eighties nineties. If you run, if your run defense is giving up that kind of stuff, you're toast. Um, yeah. But I think in this case, if teams are are just going to be able to run against you, well, how do you correct that? Well, you got to bring more guys forward. And what does that do? It opens up the, the pass defense, and right. that that I think is a is something to be really worried about because if teams are just going to are just going to be able to rack up first downs and eat clock uh, because of the because of the the, the run D being bad, then they're going to do it. Because if it keeps Buffalo's offense off the field, then they're going to take advantage of that. So. Um, I'd say the pass rush and the run defense, I, I think it all circles around the line. Um, you, you maybe want, you know, Jerry Hughes to be a little bit more present. You want, uh, you want some of the new guys, you want Addison to be, to be more on top of things. I mean, but I mean, you know, they're going to get, they're going to get these opportunities to fix it along the way. I mean, they got a nice cushion. They're three and oh, they're going to be playing some tough teams coming up, but you know, it's a lot of practice time to get these things addressed. And I, I don't, don't worry that they're not going to do it. It's just a matter of getting it pieced together. I, I think, as far as the run defense goes, they're, they're, they should be happy that it's a that the NFL is a passing league these days because you don't have to really sweat the run too much. Right. I'll, I'll say this too. There were a couple guys specifically on defense that I did not play well. Teron Johnson looked really good against the run, but he's becoming a pretty big liability as that nickel back in coverage. He got exposed a lot last week, like we talked about. It was Levi Wallace and Tremaine Edmonds. I really hope, and I'm pretty confident that he played far less than 100% because, I mean, he was getting thrown around and he was, I don't know what it was, just, he seemed to be in the wrong place. Like he was guessing the wrong gaps or something because he seemed to be responsible for a lot of um, Henderson's big runs. A little bit worried about that, but you brought up a good point. And I'll tell you what, if we were three games in and the offense was playing bad and the defense was playing good, that's probably what we would have expected. I'm far less worried about the defense. I have a lot more confidence that Sean McDermott will get the defense right, as mm-hmm. opposed to if the offense was the issue. If the offense was the issue, then we'd be saying at this point, well, maybe Josh Allen's just not the guy. You know, maybe there's some issues with this or that. That's not the case. But the defense, I got all the confidence in the world that there are things wrong. I mean, we can't turn a blind eye to it. And, and we've seen it now. Two straight weeks, but I have a lot more confidence that uh, McDermott's going to get it right. I don't do special teams, so we ain't talking about special teams, right? <laughs> Corey Bohorquez, so, yo, he did have a 72-yard punt, a punt, so I, I at least <laughs> need to mention that. Um, here's the question that I want to ask as we wrap up, Bills, and then I want to spend a couple minutes talking about the Sabres. Something at halftime struck me. Um, during the Fox halftime show, Michael Strahan was talking about the team, and he said that the Bills look like a team, they like playing together, and it shows. That's what Michael Strahan said. And I agree with that. I love that statement. 
chemistry matters as somebody who's covered hockey. And, you know, like I said, you're just an all around sports guy. Do you buy into that? Like teams that enjoy, like they like each other and they like playing together tend to be better. Do you think that's the case? You know what? You know what makes everybody a lot more fun to be around <laughs> and a lot and having a lot more fun playing games winning, winning. And that's that, it's it, it sounds stupid to just boil it down to that but honestly that's that's really what it is i mean yeah. i think think of the teams that have won titles in the past where they just you knew that they hated each other but they but they won so they put up with it and the teammates put up with it and and all that i mean i i think of like the the, the one red Sox team with uh with josh beckett and john lackey and those guys i forget what year it was where they where they won the world series and it was just like these guys are the worst people on earth. And yet they were able to function somehow, you know, and Manny Ramirez is on the team and it's all, you know, all these, all these characters where it's just like, well, I don't know if I want to hang out with anybody on this team. I don't know how these guys are able to do it in a locker room uh, for, you know, for 162 games and playoffs, but, um, but you win games and it doesn't matter anymore. Like you can, you can get away from everybody as long as everybody's all together on the same boat to win a game. Um, But I think once you start, once you start losing games, and that was certainly the case with those Boston teams. Like when, when they went from winning a World Series to like just being dog crap the next year, all those guys were out of they were out of town faster than you could say anything. And you know that <laughs> you know you had you had Beckett and those guys uh, eating fried chicken and drinking beer in the bullpen and stuff like that, like during a game. And it was just like, okay, like you can put up with a lot of crap as long as you win games. And as soon as you stop winning games, the crap just it piles up you know, by the dump truck full and you can't deal with that anymore. So, you know, chemistry, chemistry to me, it's like, it's a good idea and you want guys to be able to work well together. But as far as just like, you know, is it, you know, if you can have it before, before you prove that you can win anything, I don't know, man, like guys just love to play the sport and like, they're going to have their buddies on the team and they're just going to play. And that, you know, that, that's, that's just how it goes. And, you know, sometimes you'll have some, some guys that just nobody on the team will like, but if they play well, who gives a crap? They're just the weirdo, <laughs> you know? And that's like, a, it's a very fair point. You know, like yeah. how many times have we been fooled watching guys play in, in training camp or in the preseason? You're like, wow, boy, these guys look great together. I can't wait to see what they do here in the season. And then, you know, at least as far as hockey goes, two games into the year, they're not on the same line. And the one guy's, you know, in the press box all season. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing where it's just kind of like, I, I take it seriously to a point, but the same, the same token, I'm not going to pick one team over the other by, by thinking that like, they've got better chemistry than the other. Like, it's just, to me, it's just, it's like, whatever, like if they, if they start off the year, you know, gangbusters and start winning a ton of games then they're going to be good. But, but if you know if you got guys that decide to, to mail it in the second they lose a couple of bad games, then guess what? Guess what happens to the room? Suddenly nobody's getting along. Yeah, and it's a very fair point. Look, when you're three and zero, it's I genuinely do believe this team does like each other, and I do believe that. I don't think it's phony. I don't think yeah. it's for the cameras. I do think it's legitimate. Now you brought up a great point. You don't necessarily need to be BFFs to have a very good team. So I also see that point as well, and it's easy to to say all the right things and feel the right way when you are winning a lot of games. Now, if the Bills were, let's say, I don't know, three and eight, and Stephon Diggs is not getting the football enough, he may not be a happy camper. He wasn't in Minnesota, and the guy still had like 70, 80 catches or whatever the hell he had in Minnesota, and he still wasn't happy. So I I agree. I think each team is different, but I, I will say with the Bills, I genuinely think there is a culture in Buffalo 
where these guys legitimately do like playing with each other. I really believe it. I, I and I think in some cases at least there's something to it. Now on the opposite yeah. side, let's uh talk Sabres for a couple seconds here. Well, I, I'm going to add one more quick thing on the Bills. It, it compared to who they used to play for there, and I know there's not a lot of guys left. There might not be any guys left from when Rex Ryan was there, but like comparing comparing how guys get along now compared to then is like night and day. Like it's just completely. It's a completely different thing, and a lot of that just depends on the players that are there. But, um, but it certainly seems like I mean, you're 100 right. Based on just what you see on the outside, it certainly seems like they everybody loves each other and they and they love playing together, and that's a good thing because it's you need you need that contrast compared to how sour everything was here under Ryan and it, the guys before it, that too. I've talked about this before. I think on Twitter, I've went as far as to say that I think Rex Ryan is the worst coach in the entire history of the Buffalo Bills. And I truly believe that. Now they've had worse teams. Yeah. You know, they've had far worse teams. They had back to back two and 14, uh, 1984, 1985 teams. They've had some lousy teams and some lousy coaches. But those 2014, 2015 Buffalo Bills teams, they were talented, man. Yeah. yeah. Like LaShawn McCoy and, you know, really good defense. I mean, he inherited Rex Ryan and build a great Bills defense. He inherited one yeah. and, he, and he freaking destroyed it. And yeah. there was enough talent on offense to win. But anyway, to your point, and by the way, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, go ahead. The, the, the Ryan thing just kills me with the defense because they had like a top five NFL defense uh, and they played a 4-3 and then he comes in and he's like, no, we're going to do the 3-4, that's better. And suddenly had, they had one too many D tackles for what they had and it was just like, wait, why are you changing this? This this worked good before. He's like, well, that's not what I coach. Okay. Yeah. And then it's suddenly brutal. they were middle of the pack or you know, bottom Mario 10. Williams is playing linebacker. Mario Williams is dropping into coverage, playing linebacker. Yeah, for those reasons, that's why I think <laughs> – now, he was a fun personality. I know as sure. a media person covering the team, it was a lot of fun to, you know, he was always a, a great soundbite. But yeah, he was absolutely the worst coach, in my opinion, in the history of the Bills. And by the way, to your point earlier, too, there's nobody, and I just looked to confirm while we were talking, there's not one player from the 2016 Bills on on this current roster. So Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean <laughs> literally wiped, yeah, they literally wiped the organizational completely clean. Now, speaking of, wiping organizations clean. So again, I would have you on the podcast, even if we were just talking general Sabre stuff and never really had anything specific to talk about. But now we do because on Monday, Bob McKenzie, NHL insider had a pretty lengthy series of tweets uh, about Jack Eichel with some context. I'm not going to read it the entire thing word for word, but basically uh, McKenzie talked about waking up and being surprised and started making calls today about, Jack Eichel trade rumors that he heard, including uh, chatter. I'm reading along as I'm I'm talking to you here. Some mm-hmm. saying he requested a trade out of Buffalo and that the Rangers were among those interested. Uh, McKenzie went on to say that he investigated it and talked to the agent. And Jack's frustrated. He wants to win. This is stuff we already know. But no, he doesn't want out. Um, he's preparing to head to Buffalo at some point. Prepare this and that. And then the message, he says, is the Sabres are not shopping him. There's no real desire to trade him, but now Kevin Adams is GM, so teams are calling about his availability. It's not that anything came out of this series of tweets from Bob McKenzie that Sabres fans at least don't kind of already know, mm-hmm. but it seems to me, and I'm not you know, uncovering any stones here, but he's unhappy. He's not asking for a trade, and I, I do believe that. I take that at face value, but this guy's unhappy, and you feel like, it's going to be really soon the end of the road for this guy. If he, if they don't start winning now, 
Like, he might not be asking for a trade right now, but let's say 12 months from now, if they're in a position where they don't make the playoffs yet again, <laughs> it's going to get real, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I that was the big question after, you know, after he spoke in May when things officially, they, they wrapped everything up for real. And he had taught, he mentioned something about like, you know, just being just generally pissed off, which I mean, hey, how, how could he not be? Um, but the big question was from everybody was, you know, how soon is it, how soon is he, does he ask for a trade? And, you know, for me, in my mind, now that, granted, this was before Bottrell was fired and um, everything changed with that, but, um, but my thought was that give it two more seasons. And if there's no, you know, if they, if they're still doing the, this stuff where they're, you know, flying out of the gate and then petering out and then, you know, dribbling into the end of the season with a, you know, 70 to low 80 point season, then yeah. Like why, like, why wouldn't he <laughs> like, yeah. at that rate? He would, he would have, you know, he, he, he will have spent, if it's two more seasons, he will have spent seven seasons of being a lottery, lottery team player. Like, what why why stick around for that like you're he's getting it you know at this at that point he's getting into like the the heart of his prime and the team is going nowhere like who wouldn't ask for a trade at that point you know um but i think you know as far as you know, as far as what bob did today i mean it, i'm sure it gave everybody here a heart attack to read that um but it was it was his long it was his, his long route of of saying that like here's a thing that i heard turns out it's it's bullshit um so everybody relax but um, but I mean, I mean, the honest question though is, you know, and I think you, you know, if it weren't for the, uh, for McDavid and the Oilers making it to like the, uh, to like the second round a couple of years ago, you could probably ask the same question for him. How long before they decide like, this is stupid or let, you know, get me out of here. Um, because that's, you know, cause they're elite level players on teams where they're being basically asked to carry the entire load, you know, right all the wrongs on your own and basically win it for your team. And we, we saw last season, Eichel did practically all of that. And still they were, you know, still they were 25th in the league. And, you know, that's, you know, that that's with, you know, glaring other issues everywhere, the same issues that they had for the last, you know, three, four seasons. Um, but the difference now is that Eichel is like, you know, approved by everybody around the league now, you know, fan and media wise that like, no, this guy's a top five player in the NHL. Whereas before it was like, no, no, no. He's a top five guy. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me when he gets there. Well, he's there. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he's there and he belongs there. And his play every every night proves that. And, you know, I, I, the Sabres are in a very unfortunate position now where, you know, with everything surrounding the economics of everything, and apparently they like to keep the, you know, the money separated between the Bills and the Sabres side of, of business. But um, they're in a spot now where, throwing a lot of money around probably still isn't the answer. They have to, you know, they've been bad about developing from within. They've been bad about, uh, you know, surrounding Jack with other good young talent, whether it's through, you know, scouting, you know, falling down or bad GM decisions or bad trades, certainly bad trades as part of it. Um, but they're in a spot now where it's like, Oh crap, our best player might decide to go. He wants out if this doesn't get right soon. Can't you that's, that's a problem. That's a big problem. That's a huge problem. It's hard to blame them. That's my whole point. Let's no, say like, if you and I went in a time machine and let's pretend this podcast was around five years ago and we were having a conversation and I said, Joe, five years from now, the Sabres still wouldn't have made the playoffs after Jack Eichel was drafted. I think we would have came to one of two conclusions. Either A, 
Jack Eichel has had a very injury-riddled first five years of the league, or B, he just wasn't that good. All the hype that came with him, he wasn't as good as, as the Sabres thought he was going to be. That's the funny thing, though. I think that would be the conclusion. Well, he must, you know, this is the franchise guy. This is the guy that we tanked for basically for two years. Yep. And we're still going to make the playoffs. So that means he wasn't that good. Or he's been getting hurt an awful lot, missing a lot of time. Well, guess yep. what? Not the case, man. He has been as good as advertised, maybe even better. You say he's a top five guy in the league. I certainly believe that. Yet he's going in the sixth year of his league, or of this league, I should say, never have played in the playoffs. And I feel like at this point, I don't blame him whatsoever because if it gets to six, all right, at some point you got to think to you, in your own mind, you're like, yo, I am rotting my career away being in Buffalo. You know what I mean? I think it's a very fair point. And I'm wondering how fans are going to, like, I hope it doesn't come to it, obviously, but if it does and we start to hear more rumblings of Jack Eichel wanting out, I wonder how fans are going to be, if they're going to kind of turn on him. Because at this point, I wouldn't blame him. If he wanted to trade tomorrow, the way this organization has been run for the last few years, I wouldn't even be mad at him. Yeah, I, I think right now, I think if he asked for a trade right now, the fans would be pissed forever. I think I, yeah. they, they would be right to be because, you know, five years without playoff, like, that's when you that's when you get to say as a fan, you're like, yeah, well, it's been nine for us. You know, just kind of, you you know what it's like, just deal with it. Um, but if it's two more years down the road and they're, you know, 11, you know, 11, 12 years without playoffs, um, I think at that at that point you just say, listen, let him go elsewhere. Let him let let him be free. You know, let, let, let take him take him to a farm upstate and and let him let him run in the meadows for a while with somebody else who would take care of him. You know, it's <laughs> it, it's it, it, it'll be it to that level if if things continue to just if if the organization continues to spin their wheels in the dirt with, with everything. And I, I if there's a reason. You know, and I, I'm I, I've stopped grasping at straws for for reasons to believe. <laughs> I I'm fully in the show me before I say anything sort of boat because I've said I think I've said the last three years is like no this teams this team should be right in the running for a playoff spot and it turns out they were this year just that they had to add four more friggin' teams <laughs> to the to the playoffs <laughs> to have them even come within you know uh, a whiff of of having a shot at it but um but it's. It's to the point now where I think fans realize, and I, I can't imagine how conflicting it is to be a super huge Bills and Sabres fan because you see the Bills get just sort of everything, and the Sabres are getting like, you know, the, the you know the, the redheaded stepchild sort of treatment um, because things are bad, and uh, I can't imagine how much of a conflict that is to be like you do everything so re- so well for these guys, and you you keep punting it down the road with these guys. What gives? Yeah. Um, that that's that's the part that would kill me being a you know being a super fan of both teams because I would just be like losing my mind like the, the fact that you know the, the crazy argument I always see people like to bring up they're like who's who's the better player you know aside is it Allen or is it Eichel and like I laugh at anybody who says Allen because I was like Allen's not a top five quarterback I mean he's performing like one now but like can you honestly say that he would be a, that Allen's a top five player in the NFL, like period, like all positions, everybody, like, are, you no, know, not if, you're having, if you're having a fantasy draft, where is he getting taken? Is he being taken in the top? Well, five? No. well, he'll get drafted higher in fantasy than in real life. If you're a real life GM, no, not even close. He's not a top five player. I don't think he's a top five quarterback. I do think he has the potential to get himself there. Maybe, hmm. but not even right. It's not even a conversation that we would be having. 
Here's the bottom line, and I'll, we'll end it with this. I kind of got a two-part question for you here. One thing everybody can agree on, especially Jack Eichel, is your boy needs some help. All right. So part one is because I haven't talked to you since then or since this happened, but I want to get your reaction on the stall trade. They send Marcus Johansson to Minnesota for stall. So part one, let me get your reaction to that trade. What's your take on that? I think that's to me, that's the exact kind of trade that they have to make um, to, to shore up the center spot. Um, I'm, I'm more shocked that Minnesota believes that, that, that because Dean Evison coached Marcus Johansson in Washington, that he can make him a center, even though he stopped being a center in Washington while he was there and because it, it didn't work out. And they, they believe that he's going to be like their number one center in Minnesota, which I'm like, Hey, good luck. Good luck to you. We saw how well it worked out him being the number two center here. And that's for me saying, I like Marcus Johansson quite a bit, but he ain't a center. Like he's a wing. Um, and the fact that they, that they were able to move him for an actual center, a guy who can still produce, even though he's, you know, he's going to be 36 when the season starts. Um, that's the perfect guy to get. Like he can still, he still produces, uh, as far as the money goes, he makes less than what his cap hit, you know, his actual cash is lower than his cap hit. And he's not going to get in the way of Dylan cousins either. Like the whole thought was that if you, if you go out and acquire a number two center, he's going to get in the way of cousins. Um, well, no, not when he's 36, <laughs> yeah. not when he's 36 and he's a free agent after the season. Um, and you're in, you're basically banking that cousins is going to kind of feel his way through this year. And, you know, Hey, if he takes off and he becomes your number two center, because he's that good. Hey, awesome. But you're not going in thinking if they stuck to their guns and, you know, and decided to just leave it, leave the forward roster, how it was and not at a center. You're basically saying like, yeah, no, this forward group should have worked out last year. We're going to go, we're going to double down and, and do the same thing again this season by not solving the, the biggest issue that they've had for two since they traded O'Reilly. So right. that, to me, Stahl's the perfect guy. And granted, I know the fans hate him from 2006. I understand. I get it. Like, I, I understand. But, like, that's also a lifetime ago as far as hockey goes. Yeah. <laughs> get over it. All the, all, the, all the guys that played against him were all out for, like, what, 90s night, 2000s night this past season? Like, like – for, like at some point you just have to like let that stuff go. <laughs> Get like, over like, it. Exactly. A guy that played on that friggin' team is your GM. Like just, just chill out about right. 2006. Like I get it. It's, <laughs> they they didn't give Jay McKee a staff infection. Okay, like that's not <laughs> how it works. But I mean, it, it's. It, but I mean, he's the perfect dude to have cousins learn from. He can help Jack out a bit. He's going to give them a guy who can score on the second line, who can help out Skinner maybe. I mean, it's been a lifetime since those guys were teammates now. Um, but, you know, but the, the point is, is that they got a guy that you can you can automatically say he's our second line center and not have any second thoughts about it. Um, and if he becomes your third line center because Dylan Cousins is 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 King Kong out there. Great. Awesome. Then that's that's like the that's the best of 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 all scenarios. If it if it turns out like. You know, he turns 30, you know, he's 36 and he looks every part of 36. Well, you tried, you did something. Hopefully Cousins can take over. At least that's a better, that's a better bad situation than it is not doing anything at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with you about Johansson. I, he, he wasn't a center and I, and I think that matters. And yeah, some people are, uh, you know, some people are still upset about the cup. It's like, dude, Borat was the most popular movie in America when, when Stahl won a couple of Carolinas. So it's like, get over that shit. But uh, it kind of leads to the second part of the question. Now we'll end is, 
besides that, because they've already made that trade, what, what do you think are some things that this team needs to do or hopefully can do? Realistically speaking, of course, because you talked about self-imposed cap and all that. What do you think that they're, they're going to be able to get done between now and, you know, this NHL condensed offseason, which I think what starts at like, it's crazy to think about it because literally the Stanley Cup's going on right now. By the way, Tampa Bay's up one nothing here as we're taping this. Um, But anyway, and it doesn't the offseason start, what, like 10, 11 days, something like that? Yeah, it's, uh, what is it? The draft is, <laughs> the draft is next week. Am I, yeah. if I'm looking at my calendar, correct? The draft yeah, is you next are, week? you are. Oh my God. What are the, what are, what do you expect realistically that this team's going to be able to get done? I mean, you don't necessarily need to name specific guys, but realistically, and in this condensed off season, uh, what, what do you anticipate happening? Well, I, I think they're going to trade a defenseman and I don't think it's going to be the one everybody wants to be traded. Um, yeah, because I because I think the way Ralph feels about Ristolainen, um, and I think it's partially that, but it's also I think the book's out <laughs> on Ristolainen by now after yeah after he's you know he's been on the trading block for three years uh, essentially. Um, people know what they know what he is like. There's no secrets. There's there just is what it is. And I think unfortunately for Buffalo, if they were actually trying to move him. Um, Nobody wants to invest in a guy that's making over five million a year and say like we can fix him. Like that's that's not a move you make unless you're giving up some guy that you have given up on that makes the same kind of money in return. Right. Um, which that's not a deal Buffalo should be making in the first place. Like if if you think your team's going to be better by moving him away and you're willing to take draft picks for it, I I don't think Buffalo is in the position to do something like that unless it's like. We'll give you two second rounders for him. What do you say? Like, cool, done. I would do that. Um, but if it's like a third rounder for him, no. Like, no. Flat out, no. <laughs> um, right. But I do think uh, as far as marketable guys to, to move, I think Brandon Montour is probably more likely. Um, just because he's an RFA, he's going to get paid somewhere north of probably $3 million for that. And I don't know that he really works out in – in Ralph's system. I think if it was still Phil Housley coaching the team, he's the best guy to include, which to me says trade him to Arizona and go get a guy like, I don't know, go get a Derek Stepan or go get an Auntie Ranta or some, you know, maybe get uh, Nicholas Yalmerson uh, away from it. You know, if you want to do a D for a D trade, I, that, that to me is a, that, that to me is a great idea. Yalmerson playing next to Darlene would be freaking great. Um, but I think, but I think in Montour's case, like they're, they're kind of stuck because you don't really know what you got because in Arizona, he, he played for Randy Carlisle and he, you know, Carlisle's style was very defensive and it wasn't a whole lot of him carrying the puck. Like he, when he did it, it was kind of to spike the coach and his style of, and his style of play. Um, but I think with, with Housley, he looked he looked really good. And, you know, if he still played like that under Ralph, that would be awesome, but that's not what Ralph wanted him to do. And it didn't help that he played on the wrong side. So I think you, ha- I think they're in a position where they got to move on from Montour, and you know people are mad about giving up a first round pick for him. But that GM's gone now, so that no, that has no bearing on what Kevin Adams does. So, um, but I think what you need, you need, you got to fix up the defense a little bit. I think you need some help there. You have to fill out your bottom six, which shouldn't be too hard. Um, I think that's where a lot of guys might graduate from from Rochester to do that. Um, and I think if 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 you can find a way to keep Johan Larson, I think that would do them a world of good. Um, 
but I got a funny feeling if I was Larson, I might be, might be itchy to move on. Not because he didn't like it in Buffalo, but you get a chance to explore and you get to get to get some offers on the table for yourself. You might as well take a look and see what's out there. Yeah. And this will probably be his best payday of his career, right? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody can look at how he played even the, the last, last season, especially, but I think the last two or three years, you can look at how he played and said, you know what? That's a, that's a really good guy to work in the bottom part of our forward group and a guy who will just do everything, do all the dirty work, do, you know, do all the tasks and win faceoffs, plays really good defensively. And he's a pain in the ass for other, for other opponents. Like, that's that's your dream guy to have in the in the bottom end of the lineup, and he's a, he'd be the best guy for Buffalo to keep there if they became a playoff team. But that's you know unless unless he wants to stick around and and kind of maybe take less than what he might get elsewhere, which I can't imagine he would do to stick here. But if he does, I'm sure Buffalo would be beyond happy to have him because he's a really good player. I mean, he's not going to score you 20 goals. Like let's not let's not fault that, but like he's going to do all that dirty work that everybody says you need guys to do, especially when it comes to playoffs. And boy, have we seen that, how necessary those guys are in the postseason, the way the rule book changes. But um, but that's the exact kind of guy you want. And that's when a really smart team who goes to the playoffs every year would get him, get him in there and be like, good, we've got our third or fourth line taken care of. Where are you at? I lied. I have another question. Where <laughs> are you at with Linus Allmark as a, as a number one goalie right now? Now we know Carter Hunt and we know he's not that guy. I don't think the Sabres ever thought he was going to be that guy, but goaltending at times last year was n- not great. And uh, I, I, I don't, I feel like the jury's still out on this kid. Maybe you don't like what, what's your take on him going forward as the goalie? Cause we spend all the time in the world, whether it's me and you, whoever I'm talking to, we're always talking top six, bottom six, you know, six defensemen and not a lot of goalie talk. So I want to know from you, where are you at with him? I would love to see, well, I think like every question with these guys, it, it's always layered, layered in in other issues. Like the goaltending, I think on its own, as on five on five, as far as Allmark goes, was was pretty solid. Um, but the but the penalty kill, the the, the penalty kill defense, and, and how he played in, the, in goal there. I mean, those guys, him and him and Hutton had the same save percentage on the penalty, you know, killing penalties, which. Not great. <laughs> Not right, great right. at all. Like I think they were like eight thirty and eighty three percent on the you know shorthanded, and that's not good at all. Um, but that to me points that the biggest problem was how the how the penalty kill handled things, which we know is a humongous problem. But um, but I think with with Linus, you got to be. It, it really, it, they're in a spot where like they can they can kind of stick with them if they add somebody to the mix that can maybe take you know maybe split starts with them or maybe you go fifty five forty five with the starts with them and you know Linus is getting forty five then okay all right like you can you can get away with that but I'd be I'd be a little bit wary of going you know sit, giving him seventy percent of the starts because um, I think that I think I think depending how how the schedule sets up next year. I think everybody's going to need two goalies to be absolutely outstanding because I think there's going to, I think the schedule is going to be really compact. And you, if you don't have two guys going, if you don't have three guys, because you might need to have a third guy ready to go. If, if there's no AHL season, everybody's going to be carrying three. Um, so I think, I, I think then you have to, you have to be really wary of how, how everybody's playing together. Um, and that, that to me is, that to me is a big thing, but, 
I think you're I think you're okay with him right now to say he's your guy for the next five years. I wouldn't say that um, because okay. I mean they've got guys coming up the pipe, you know, coming down the pipeline with Lukanen and Portillo eventually. Some you know at some point down you know down the road if he becomes a thing. I mean who knows? Like goalies goalies are voodoo. This is is the way it's always stated, but. Um, but I think for right now, Linus is good. It's up to him to to continue to prove that he can be the guy. If he decides to go lights out and have a Vezina quality season, great, yeah. <laughs> great, great. Take it and run away. But if he, but if he turns into like a nine, you know, a nine oh seven, nine oh eight goalie, that's that's a humongous problem, and that's something you cannot you cannot afford to have. Especially if you know, I mean, I think Hutton's going to have a he's going to have. I think he has to have a bounce back year. Um, anyways, and we'll see what, if the vision corrections help him out and all that, but, um, but I think, I think goaltending is definitely a question, but I don't know exactly how you go about addressing it without doing something really drastic and just kind of punting on what your plan was in the first place. Yeah. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting with the, with the Buffalo Sabres, Buffalo Bills, very exciting time. Sabres. Well, it can't get much worse. So hopefully they already have bottomed out in there on their way up. But anyway, it's a mistake I always say it, can, it can't get worse, right? I, the, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? It, it can get worse. It can, <laughs> and it very well might. Hopefully it doesn't. Though. But anyway, all right, everyone, give Joe a follow on Twitter at Joe Yurden. One of, I say this every time you want, because it's true, bro. One of my favorite guests. I love shooting the shit with you, man. It feels like we're just having a regular old conversation over a couple of beers or whatever. So, Thanks as always for doing the pod, buddy. Hey, you got it, man. I'll bring the beers next time. All right, folks, that is going to do it for another episode. Very, very big thank you again, my buddy, Joe Yurden. Hashtag hire Joe Yurden. One of my favorite guests. I love talking sports and life with Joe. So thank you very much. Guys, girls, if you have not done so already, Please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast right now. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really, truly helps me continue to grow this show. You can find us, of course, on all the major podcasting platforms out there. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, all of them. Also, check us out on YouTube. Talk about Flow Podcast. We've got our own YouTube channel. Some highlight clips from current and past episodes. I am working diligently on getting some video stuff up. Original content that will be coming there very soon. So again, Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. Then of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I am constantly tweeting out podcast updates, promos, upcoming guests, general sports talk with fans. I love Twitter. That's my place. I'm always there at Pamoran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I say it all the time because it's true, man. It really is true. There's so many, just in the Buffalo market alone, there's so many good podcasts out there so much quality competition i was just going to say competition quality competition and when you're locked in on this show man that means a lot to me it really does it does not go unnoticed so thank you very much have a very good safe rest of the week and i'll be back brand new show on friday